Amen. How many of you can say, I'm glad they're doing that and not me? Great job. I'm so thrilled what's happening with the kids. And I want, uh, I want you to stand with me. And as they're getting my, my pulpit ready, I want, to, I want us to have a prayer for all of those who are suffering today particularly strongly because they're remembering the loss of a loved one. On 10 years ago, that vicious terrorist attack took over 3,000 American lives, and not to mention all of those <clears throat> emergency firefighters and policemen and normal citizens who took junk into their lungs and are suffering now from emphysema and all kinds of related diseases. I want us to pray for the comfort of the Holy Spirit upon the loved ones. And let's believe God to bring healing to them. Father, we just thank you. You're a healing God. And Lord, we know that something happened 10 years ago that, Lord, was a wake-up call to many of us and that left a wound on the soul of America. And we pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would heal those who are waking up today without that person next to them that was there 10 years ago when they went off to a normal day of work and didn't return. And those who are waking up today, Lord, with physical afflictions and diseases and limitations and even terminal reports over their life because of what happened. We pray the healing of God. And Lord, that you would send the Spirit of God, the Comforter, to do what only you can do and bring healing and bring comfort and Lord, I pray that you will bring a fresh hope that somehow through this tragedy, good will come as we continue to believe you for a genuine awakening to be poured out on this country, a genuine spiritual awakening that will drive back the dark, snap the chains, cancel satanic assignments, and Lord, bring in the glory of God. Lord, wake up your church all over this country all over this land, deliver us from the clutch of political correctness that we would tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth and take a stand for that mighty gospel that alone can change this country and turn it back. And we believe you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you'll remain standing for me to read a verse... I want to talk to you today about the God of Islam and the God of the Bible, the difference, the difference. And let's look at 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Read it with me, can you? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Fathers, thank you for touching your word today and for delivering us from deception and shedding truth on the reality that we face today. And thank you, Lord, for opening every year, not just here, but across uh, the radio ministry and WinNet that launches in just a few weeks. Thank you that this message will go around the world. We thank you for it and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God is good and you can be seated.
Well, today we're observing the 10th anniversary of the horrific terrorist attack against our country on 9-11-01. And I remember where I was. I remember exactly what I was doing when I first saw the news report of planes flying into the trade towers. On that dark and ominous day, Islamic terrorists hijacked several commercial jetliners and steered them into the twin uh, trade towers in New York City and then into the Pentagon in D.C. And another jet's target, which apparently had been the White House, was aborted due to the heroic actions of normal Americans who took the terrorists down and brought the jet crashing into a field with one of the brave Americans saying inside the doomed jet, let's roll. And my concern is today, instead of let's roll, we are rolling over. And I say, let's roll again and let's not roll over. Amen. Now, since that horrible event, much controversy has swirled around uh, the religion of Islam. Where did it come from? What does Islam actually teach? Our own President Bush uh, made the pronouncement that Islam is a peaceful religion, he said, and not to be confused with the acts of radical terrorists. And we've also been told repeatedly by some religious leaders and the predictably wrong-headed media that the God of the Bible and the God of Islam are one and the same. Is that true? Do we all worship the same God? Now let me just posit something for you today. Is the God that is called Allah by some, or Buddha by others, or Jehovah or Yahweh by still others, or Jesus by we Christians, simply the same God going under different names? Now since today we're focused on Islam, I want to compare the God of Islam and the God of the Bible, because we need to know if they're the same. Now there are several reasons for this. There is a movement in some churches across the land that has been tagged Chrislam. Chrislam is the attempt on the part of some leadership to merge Islam with Christianity. Chrislam in an attempt to bring peace to the world. And why can't we all just get along kind of thinking. Now, before I really answer that, I want to quickly give you a brief history of Islam. We need to understand everything we can about this religion because I believe it is one of the genuine threats facing the West today. And I'm going to be bold enough to say it, and I'm going to warn you up front. I hope you're not offended, but if you are, I'm sorry, but I am not going to be politically correct today. I'm going to be truthful. Let's begin. Islam began in 622 AD, six centuries after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The name Islam means submission. That's the name of the word Islam, the meaning, submission, to be subjected to, subservient to. The stated goal of Islam is, is clear to anybody that wants to read the Quran, and that is total world domination under the rule of what is called Sharia law. Now, out of their own Quran, I'm going to be quoting several times today. So, uh, when I say something like Surah, that is uh, uh, out of the Quran. Surah, chapter 61, verse 9, says, He it is who has sent his messenger, Muhammad, 
with guidance and the religion of truth to make it victorious over all other religions, even though the infidels, that would be you and me or anybody not Muslim, even though the infidels hate it. Now there is a clear declaration of, in essence, war against all other religions and the desire to bring the entire world under subjection to Sharia law and the rule of Islam, even though the infidels or uh, those who are not Muslim hate it. Now, Sharia law, Sharia means path in Arabic. Sharia law guides all aspects of Muslim life, including daily routines, family and religious obligations, and financial dealings. It is taken primarily from the Quran, that is, Sharia law. Islam is the second largest religion after Christianity. There are over 1.5 billion people in the world today who call themselves Muslim compared to 2.1 billion who call themselves Christian. That is, 22% of the world's population claims Islam, while 31% of the world's population claim Christianity to be their faith. Islam, right now, is the fastest growing of the major religions of the world growing at 2.9% versus 2.3% for Christianity. Now the founder of Islam, as most know today, is Muhammad. What about Muhammad? Who was he? Well, Muhammad was born around uh, 570 AD in Mecca, in what is today Saudi Arabia. When he was 40 years old, he claimed to having received many visitations and revelations from the angel Gabriel in a cave. Now these so-called revelations continued until his death in 632 AD. Again, six centuries after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now it's these revelations that Muhammad claims to have received that were gathered together and written down by followers of Muhammad that have become known as the Quran, which is the Islamic Bible. Now, when Muhammad began to preach these so-called revelations, he was met by resistance in Mecca, where he lived, because he was preaching monotheism, which is one God and one God only, versus polytheism, which is multiple gods, which the people and the leaders of Mecca believed in his day. So a monotheist began to, to, to preach monotheism to polytheists, those that believed in many gods. And after years of resistance and persecution from the people of Mecca, Muhammad migrated in 622 to the town of Medina. Medina had significant Jewish population as well as many Christians. Now, Muhammad sought to convince the Jews and Christians that he was a prophet on the same level as the biblical prophets. He claimed to be on the level of an Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, a major prophet. He even adopted some of their practices like praying towards Jerusalem in an attempt to convince those around him that he was on that level. But the Jews and the Christians in Medina failed to embrace him as a prophet. So he ordered the Muslims to stop praying toward Jerusalem and instead pray toward Mecca, the city of his birth, which they do to this day. They pray towards Mecca. 
Now his influence and leadership in Medina grew. And it was here where he established the first Islamic state and became both the religious and the political leader of Medina. Now hear me clearly today. From this point forward, Islam grew not through verbal influence, but through the power of the sword. In 630 AD, Muhammad led his followers to conquer Mecca, his birthplace. They took it by force. They took it by the sword. They took it by military might. And after Muhammad died in 632 AD, the Muslims continued to conquer new territories in Arabia and beyond by violent force and contrary to pop, popular, uh, I believe, historical revisionism, at least the first couple of crusades were in reaction to the onslaught of Islam against Jerusalem and the Middle East. And it was totally justified. When Islam, when the Muslims conquered a people, they gave them three options. Convert to Islam, pay a special tax, or die. In this way, Islam spread to the whole Arabian Peninsula, large sections of North Africa, as well as parts of Asia, and especially Indonesia, which has the largest Muslim population in the world today. They spread rapidly, they spread alarmingly, and they spread by the force of the sword. Now that's just a little bit of the background of the launching of Islam. But what really matters to us today as well, just as much, is the beliefs of Islam. What do they believe? What do they teach? What does a real Muslim actually adhere to and believe? Now notice again the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy in our opening text. Let me read it again. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. Now we can stop right here and we can say that Islam and Judaism and Christianity all agree on this one thing, that there is one God. Islam is a monotheistic religion. That is the very heart of Islam. God is one. That is Allah. Then the apostle goes on to say, there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one God and one mediator. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all men. Now, right there is the first place where Islam and Christianity part ways irrevocably. They would agree with the first part of this verse that says there is one God, but they can't go any further. They would not agree with there being one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for many. Now that's because they believe that Muhammad was the mediator between God and man. And that Muhammad received the revelation of God from God, not Jesus Christ. Nor they agree with the last part of this verse. Hear me clearly, they would not agree with the verse or the part of the verse that says Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for many. They say that Jesus did not die on the cross, but rather that Allah raptured him away to heaven to protect him from the Jews. So to the Muslim, there is no 
resurrection of Christ, he was rescued from those dastardly Jews. I want to be real clear about something today uh, that probably 30 years ago I wouldn't have had to be, but let me just, let me just lay out for you what Christianity simply teaches. Here it is. Are you ready? Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus alone died for our sins. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus is the only way to heaven and salvation is a free gift received by believing in Jesus and him alone. That's it. That is the claim of Christianity in a nutshell. There it is. There you have it. Islam also teaches that one must not only believe on Muhammad, but must earn your way into heaven in various ways. And one of those ways happens to be martyrdom that I'm going to talk about a little bit more in a minute. So Islam is salvation by works, not grace. The total antithesis of Christianity, which is all by grace, none by works. With Islam, it is by works and no grace. Now, let me just take this a little bit deeper and look at what Islam actually believes about Jesus Christ. Some of you may find it surprising that Islam recognizes Jesus at all, but it does. Not only do they recognize him as a person, but Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. Quoting again from the Quran in Surah chapter 5, not standalone, not in his own stratosphere, but no, one of many. And not only do they that no more, no more than a messenger before whom many messengers have passed away. In other words, Jesus was just one of many equal messengers on the same footing, but he was a messenger. So they give him credit for being a prophet or a genuine messenger of the words of God, but only one of many, not unique, not only, not standalone, not in his own stratosphere, but no, one of many. And not only do they recognize him as a prophet, but Muslims believe in Jesus' virgin birth. Did you know that? It says in Surah 19, Mary, quote, Mary is supposedly speaking with Gabriel, and Mary says to him, How shall I have a son when no man has ever touched me, and I am not unchaste? And Gabriel, according to the Quran, replies, So it will be, your Lord says, that is easy for me. It was a matter so decreed. In other words, he was born of a virgin, it says in the Quran. Muslims also believe that Jesus ascended into heaven, was raptured away, rescued. And Muslims believe that Jesus is coming back to defeat the Antichrist. Did you know that? You say, well, wow, Pastor Jeff, I didn't know all that. And we've got a lot of things in common with Islam, don't we? Well, here's where Islam and Christianity part ways in regards to the beliefs about Jesus. Very, very important, very crucial, because what I'm about to read to you and show you certainly testifies to the fact that we do not worship the same God. It is not the same Bible. Muhammad was not a prophet in league with any of the prophets of the Holy Bible. In fact, I believe he was not a prophet at all. Here's what the difference is, even though they recognize Jesus as a prophet and as born of a virgin, Muslims don't believe that Jesus was the son of God. And they don't believe that he was God in the flesh. Now, according to the apostle John, that ends the discussion. 
as to whether or not Islam is truly from God. Because they don't believe Jesus was the Son of God or God in the flesh. Listen to John, 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. This is how, says John, you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that recognizes and acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh was a human being, God wrapped in skin, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh is not from God. Is not from God. You can't get any more clear than that. But not only do they not believe Jesus was the Son of God or God in actuality, Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sins. They also don't believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and, or, or really any way to heaven at all. To be a Muslim according to the teaching of Islam, you can't hold any of these beliefs and be a Muslim. But guess what? To be a Christian, you must hold all those beliefs. Now this is where we need to ask some questions. We know that the beliefs of Islam come from the Quran. And the beliefs of Christianity come from the Holy Bible. So the logical first question in my mind to ask is, do I believe the Bible or do I believe the Quran? Now, what matters to me is if you look back at the history of either book, let's look at how we receive both of these books that claim to be, both of them claim to be the Word of God. This Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This Bible claims of itself to be the very God-breathed Word, the very breathed-out Word of God. And so does the Quran. Claims to be direct revelation from the angel Gabriel to Muhammad. Now, first, the Bible. The Bible was transmitted by over 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. This totally eliminates the argument that Christianity is a religion started by just one man. It matters to me that over 40 authors were involved in this, most of them not knowing one another, but all in agreement over a period of 1,500 years, not ever having to, spoke, uh, to have spoken to one another, for the most part, and yet their revelation, what they taught, what they preached, what they declared, all agrees. The Bible was also confirmed through miracles performed by the Messiah that the Bible predicted would come, Jesus Christ, as well as the prophets and the apostles who transmitted the word of God to us. Listen to what Peter says about Jesus, Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, in other words, the ministry of Jesus was attested to and confirmed by miracles, wonders, and signs with thousands of eyewitnesses. Hebrews agrees. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, quote, 
This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Over 40 authors attested to by miracles and by hundreds of perfectly fulfilled prophecies over a span of centuries. That's the story of the Bible. But what about the Quran? The Quran was written during one man's life, through one man. There were no miracles that accompanied the writing of the Quran, nor did Muhammad ever perform a miracle, not one. The Quran is comprised of the sayings of just one man claiming a revelation from God. So the logical question is, will we believe the apostles and the prophets, or will we believe one man who wrote in one life with no witnesses, no miracles, no attesting uh, miracles or signs of any kind. And I think it's also good to ask ourselves, what did the writers of the scriptures or of the Quran have to gain from it? Was there any personal gain? Well, the apostles and prophets who proclaimed Jesus as the Christ and his resurrection from the dead had no earthly gain. As a matter of fact, they were beaten, tortured, and martyred. But what about Muhammad? Muhammad gained power. Muhammad gained influence due to his teaching. He also gained multiple wives. After the death of his first wife, he married at least 12 more, nine of whom were living at his death. So he was a polygamist. One of those was only seven years old at the time of marriage, which was consummated when she was nine years old. Let's ask another question. What is the fruit, the fruit of Islam and Christianity? What did their teachings produce? Because this is what our Savior, Jesus Christ, told us to do. He said, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You don't plant an orange tree and get thorns, and you don't plant a thorn bush and get oranges. As is the root, so will be the fruit. Well, let's look at this now. What does Christianity teach? And what are the repercussions of the teaching of Christianity? Well, first, Christianity teaches love. And I hold this up in comparison to Islam. Christianity teaches love. John 15, 12 to 13, Jesus said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The founder of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, went even further and said, Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. The founder of our faith said, Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. So will you be the children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Christianity teaches nonviolence. 
Jesus explicitly taught nonviolence. He warned Simon Peter after Simon Peter pulled his sword and cut off the ear of somebody that had come to arrest him. Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place, Peter, for all who live by the sword will die by the sword. That's the message of our Savior, the founder of our faith. He also reached down, picked up the cut off ear, put it back on the man's head and healed him. Clearly not a savior of violence. Jesus said to Pontius Pilate following his arrest, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. So my servants don't fight. When Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, he prayed for his killers. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Clearly a religion of genuine peace, a religion of genuine love, a faith of genuine nonviolence. It doesn't speak out of a, 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 a double-edged sword. That is, it doesn't speak out of um, double speak. We don't say we are for peace and then go and kill people. Now, what about Islam's teachings and the resulting fruit? As already mentioned, there are those who say that Islam teaches peace and love and that Allah is merciful. And, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. You can find verses in the Quran that speak about the mercy of Allah. And I know that there are people who call themselves Muslims who are kind and peaceful. However, the effects of the teaching of Islam for those who are fully devoted followers of Allah, Muhammad, and the Quran point to something different than a religion of peace and love. Those who are completely sold out to Allah and the Quran and Muhammad display a willingness to sacrifice their lives, not in martyrdom while preaching and living a faith of peace and love. But they die sacrificing their love or their lives to wage jihad, holy war for the cause of Allah. And to kill those who do not believe in Allah. They do this because of the influence of the teaching of the Quran. That says plainly and clearly to anybody who will be honest enough to read it. They are told fight until religion is only for Allah. Pick up the sword, not lay it down. Spill blood, not save it. Do evil, not good. Take life, not give life. Example, Quran, chapter 8, verse 39. And fight with them, Muslims are told, until there is no more persecution and religion should be only for Allah. Quran 9, verse 5. Fight and kill the disbelievers wherever you find them. Take them captive, harass them, lie in wait and ambush them using every stratagem of war. Quran 9, verse 14, fight them and Allah will punish them by your hands. Notice their God, Allah, is involved in the slaughter of people who do not believe in Islam. He goes on and says, punish them by your hands, lay them low, cover them with shame. He, that is Allah, will help you over them. Quran 4, verse 76, those who believe, fight in the cause of Allah. Do you see the difference? And they are to fight especially against Jews and Christians. I'm going to tell you that the persecution covering the world today is primarily led against Christianity by the Islamic faith. Do you know that every five minutes somebody is martyred for being a Christian in this world today? 
every five minutes. There have already been about six martyrs since I've been speaking simply because they claim Christ. Listen to what the Quran says, O you who believe, do not take the Jews and the Christians for friends. They are friends of each other. And whoever amongst you takes them for a friend, then surely he is one of them. Surely Allah does not guide the unjust people, that meaning us, may Allah destroy them. Muslims are taught that if they die in the cause of Allah, they will immediately receive forgiveness and receive a great reward in heaven. Quran 4, verse 74, quote, Whoso fighteth in the way of Allah, be he slain or be he victorious, on him we shall bestow a vast reward. I submit to you that there is no question that passages like this were firmly entrenched in the minds of those terrorists that flew the jets into the trade towers. See, if you're a good Muslim like you are a good Christian, then you take even the most radical sayings of Jesus like bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, pray for those who use you and persecute you, and you practice it because your, your Savior and the founder of your faith told you to. So if I'm a literalist and I take the Quran literally, it is totally conceivable that I would hijack a jet and fly it into a trade tower and take lives in the name of Allah, knowing and believing that I'm going to get a great reward in heaven for taking out the infidels because after all, it is Allah's will that Islam would eventually cover the entire world. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, you're being too hard. Probably not hard enough. See, it's the American mind can't believe that somebody would just want to kill you without them being insane. One of the terrorists that were captured and taken to court had a lawyer. And the lawyer was using the insanity defense. And when the lawyer opened up the insanity defense and began to say about how, about how only an insane person would, would hijack a plane and fly it into a tower and take his own life and kill people and all of that for these different reasons, that only, only a, a crazy man would do that, then... This man finally jumped up and said, I am not insane. I am Al-Qaeda. The American mind can't wrap itself around that. The American mind can't understand that. Now, we're left with the most important question of all today. Do you believe that the true God is the God who sent his son to die for our sins? Jesus did not come to bring a sword, but he came to bring peace. He was a savior of love, not war. He was a savior of life, not death. And he wants nothing more than to save the souls of those he died for. And I pray for those that are in Islam, that they would embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as the true and genuine savior. You don't have to work your way into heaven. You do not have to do severe things to get into glory. The severity already happened on the cross against Jesus Christ. So I want you to stand with me today, can you? You say, well, Pastor Jeff, why'd you go into all this? Because I want us to know that we need to be praying. And I want to tell the truth. I know a little bit of history. 
And I remember in pre-World War II, Britain and Germany. It was like the English people could not conceive, they couldn't wrap their mind around an enemy who really wanted just to ruthlessly come in and take them out. And as a result of that, the Nazis got just a hair's breadth away from taking the West. It took a Winston Churchill who had their number to be voted in as prime minister to raise up an army to fight against that enemy. And I'm going to tell you, church, we have an enemy, not in people, but in a belief system that really wants to see the West taken out and wants to see Sharia law and Islam as the undisputed religion of the world. Well, I want to resist that and fight it and tell the truth about it because there is only one Savior. His name is Jesus. Amen. And so I want to pray that there is a move of God that sweeps the West, that sweeps the world. And let's pray together. Father, we just thank you right now. Yes, Lord, there are many Muslim people that are not violent. But those that are violent, almost invariably, Lord, claim Islam. Lord, we pray that you would raise up a standard of your spirit. And Lord, reveal the truth and help America to take the blindfold off and face an ideological enemy that would take away our way of life if given half a shake. Take the blinders off and help us, Lord, to be smart and wise and protect what you have given us here in this land. And we pray, Lord, for those caught in this religion of works that you would deliver them into the glory of grace and into knowing the true Savior, Jesus Christ. Help, Lord, Turning Point Church to make a difference. And we thank you for it, Father, with our heads bowed. Maybe today you have never said, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. Father, I invite you to come in today just say it. Lord, I invite you into my heart today. I believe that you are the one and the only true God. Save me from my sins in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Can you today? Amen.